Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, March 17th. I apologize to any listener in advance who manages to catch some of the background noises surrounding me. I'm recording today's show once again at the Phoenix Country Club, host of the 2023 Phoenix Challenger event. And let me just say this Phoenix Country Club, it's drop-dead gorgeous. I mean, the countless amount of players who are trying to sneak onto the golf course yesterday, I think is a testament to the facilities we have here in Phoenix this week. And a massive thank you to our dear friend, Johnny Levine, for inviting our Crack Rackets team to cover this event. If you've missed any of our coverage, I implore all of you mini break listeners, this is the week to hop over to our Cracked Interviews podcast feed. I know we have a lot of college content on there, a lot of college coach interviews, a lot of college player interviews. If you are a pro tennis fan, though, the Cracked Interviews podcast feed is the place for you. I've already had the chance to speak with so many of the stars at this week's Phoenix event, whether it be my sit down with Michael Emer, which is probably my favorite podcast I've recorded in 2023. I sit down with Emil Rusevori, Richard Gasquet joined us for five minutes Alexander Shevchenko, our dearest and oldest friend, Nuno Borges, joined us. We've had so many great conversations. I want to have so many more as we're here for the rest of the weekend as well. But again, to hear all of that content, hop on over to our Cracked Interviews podcast feed. A massive thank you in advance to all of the players, or I suppose in retrospect, to all of the players who have taken the time to join us. And again, my goal here in Phoenix is to get 16, at least 16 of the field on the Cracked Interviews podcast between the singles and doubles draws. We have so many of the top doubles players in the world here as well. And according to Joe Salisbury and Rajiv Ram, they are interested in joining us on the show here this week for a little three-man podcast. They promised, so I'm going to try to deliver that for all of you listeners. I also, of course, made this promise to all of you at the start. I will sit down with Matteo Berrettini. Now, whether it will be for 5, 10, 15 minutes, whether it will cover his tennis or whether it's going to be on his experience at break point, I will continue to ask the Berrettini team if he would be willing to sit down with us. Now, thus far, my inquiries have been rejected, and I could understand why. Just about everyone wants a, a piece of Matteo Berrettini here on the grounds at Phoenix. I have never seen a crowd swoon for a player the way everyone in the crowd was swooning. Men, women, it didn't matter. The swooning was nonstop during Berrettini's round one match yesterday. But again, a lot of great interviews over on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. We'll continue to provide provide more updates, more content here from Phoenix throughout the course of the rest of the weekend. So Cracked Interviews podcast feed, our Cracked Racket social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Look out for more Phoenix-centric content on each of those platforms. Of course, I do want to end my show here today with some additional Phoenix round one thoughts because we are a bit behind on the Phoenix Challenger. And I suppose this is a bit of a scoop talking with tournament organizers for the record, the schedule moving forward, as I'm sure many of you surmised. Round of 16, Today here on Friday, we're playing quarterfinals, semifinals of singles back-to-back -back on Saturday so that we can still hit our final scheduled for Sunday. That's the draw order, excuse me, that's the schedule, match schedule here in Phoenix moving forward. And again, I got some additional thoughts on all the players I've seen compete at the end of this show for all of you listeners as well. But there's no denying the biggest storyline in all of professional tennis right now is the final four we have set at Indian Wells. You could not have drawn up a more ideal outcome 
to the men's and women's singles draws than what we have unfolding in front of us right now. I mean, let's start on the women's side. To have Sviantek Rabakina, that Australian Open, what, semifinal, quarterfinal, whatever match it was, rematch, Rabakina knocking off Sviantek, you know, Rabakina, who won last year's Wimbledon, made this year's Australian Open final. She has clearly continued to propel herself into the Tier 1 conversation. She's one of those players who I always like to mention. We're here at the Phoenix Country Club. You know what Elena Rabakina is a member of? Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. She does have that sort of transcendent power to where if she's playing her best tennis, she can take the racket out of her opponent's hand regardless of whom that opponent is. But obviously the opponent's the best of the best. World number one, Iga Sviantek, who just like, you name the record for a 21 and under WTA player. If that, if the alternative isn't Monica Seles, Iga Sviantek is competing for or has the record at this point. Again, Serena Williams, you know, Maria Sharapova, Iga Sviantek. That's your lists of all the since 2009 right now and the WTA stats that are coming out. And Iga Igut yesterday. There's not going to be much for me to add on her performance, but I do want to break down how, again, we got to that semifinal, what to expect in Sakari Sapalenka as well. But, I mean, the biggest headlines on the men's side. Alcaraz Center is the best rivalry in all of men's tennis. You can make the case for other matches. You can say Djokovic-Nadal if you want. I don't have a strong counter-argument if you're point is, look, they've played over 50 times. It's typically in a Grand Slam semifinal, typically in a Grand Slam final. The history of that Nadal-Djokovic matchup, if you want to say on pedigree alone, it's the best rivalry, congrats. You picked a really boring answer. But there is no doubt the premier emerging rivalry, the matchup I think that will define the next two decades on the ATP Tour is the matchup between Yannick Sinner and Carlos Alcaraz, which is a matchup we get once again in Indian Wells. And obviously, Breathtaking, breathtaking stuff from Carlos Alcaraz yesterday. Four and four over a guy in Felix Ogier Aliassime who has weapons to make his life uncomfortable, who had a track record of success against Carlitos. It did not matter. First of all, Carlos has chest muscles now. I mean, I did not expect that to be a development before he was 21 years old. Every time I watch him, it doesn't matter if it was two days ago. It feels like he's put on two more pounds of muscle and just the weapons, the physicality, the gumption to do what he does in the biggest moments. Carlos Alcaraz is elite. He looked the part yesterday. We'll get into it, of course. The bigger storyline, though, and I'm not going to do the full debate again, but longtime mini-break listeners know my thoughts on Yannick Sinner. If you have him anywhere outside of Tier 1 moving forward, you're just wrong. You just are. I, I'll say it directly to Gil Gross's face when I speak with him next on this show. Don't worry. Although, I think Gil Gross would say Yannick Sinner's Tier 1 moving forward. He wouldn't put him in Tier 1 in 2023. That is where I vehemently disagree with, I think, the vast majority of the tennis populace at large as well. I'm ready for Yannick Sinner to be Tier 1. And look... You think you have to tell me he doesn't have a 1,000-level title? You think you have to tell me he's never made a Masters, uh, excuse me, a, a Slam final and, you know, again, doesn't have the the collection of signature victories that obviously a Carlos Alcaraz has racked up? Obviously, Novak Djokovic, he, he sleeps off signature victories. That's just all he does. Um you know, even Medvedev has more signature victories, has that slam title, more master success, the pedigree. That's the word I'll turn to again. But, like, I'm sorry. You're just fucking wrong if you don't think Yannick Sinner is Tier 1 moving forward. 
we all have eyes. We all see the Tennessee's capable of playing. Yes, I understand there are some things he needs to continue to improve, but as I will make the abbreviated case for again here on today's show, all of the check marks uh, that you look for in a future generation-defining sort of superstar, Yannick Sinner keeps checking off boxes. And like it's always worth remembering, 21 years old, what were, what were the greats doing at 21 compared to where Yannick is now? Not what were the greats doing at 27 compared to what Yannick is now, or even what the greats were doing at 23, 24 when they were beginning the ascension towards the peak of their powers uh, sort of element of their prime. I'm telling you, Sinner just keeps checking off benchmarks. I understand a win over Taylor Fritz in an Indian Wells quarterfinal isn't going to be the end-all be-all for many of you tennis fans, but we got to talk Sinner. Got to talk Alcaraz. Got to talk about that matchup. I mean, those two, uh, what they've done in their career head-to-head, what I think they will continue to do moving forward. I think that's the rivalry that's going to define the next generation on the ATP Tour. Make the case for that once again here today, even though I've already sort of made the case here in the introduction of this show. But again, we're staying fluid on these podcasts here in Phoenix. It's rare that I get the opportunity to record an outdoor podcast, and perhaps the outdoor nature of this show leads to a less formal Alex Gruskin here recording for all of you listeners. I'm so sorry I just referred to myself in third person. I don't like that I did it either. But again, Medvedev Tiafo, Alcaraz Sinner. The real final fours are happening at Indian Wells this week, folks. That's the storyline for all of you tennis fans. And I suppose I'll polish things on the margin here on today's show for all of you listeners today, as I imagine many of you who listen to a daily podcast are thoroughly tuned in to all the action as it unfolds. That said, this is where I'm going to sneak in the Tennis Point plug here today. A shout out, as always, to our dear friends at Tennis Point for their continued support of our show. You all know the deal. Best equipment, best prices, tennis-point.com. Use our promo code CR15 to get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can, Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Ball, tennis-point, symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. Now, with all that said, let's offer the additional follow-ups to what was a lengthy monologue to start today's episode. Let's just start on the men's singles side. I mean, it's the best rivalry in all of tennis, and you'd have to convince me otherwise right now. Alcaraz-Sinner is the matchup I want to watch more than any other matchup right now. Although I do want to watch Alcaraz-Medvedev because I think that's going to be really fun as a potential final as well, or Sinner-Medvedev for obvious reasons. I just I want to see how the length, the fluidity, the ability to extend rallies for Medvedev, will that at all be a kryptonite for Carlos Alcaraz or will he made you know will he take such advantage of Medvedev's defensive court positioning that you know as well as Medvedev moves Alcaraz is perhaps uniquely suited to still be able to take time away from him I mean it's funny because I'm fine it could be Alcaraz Medvedev it could be Sinner Medvedev it could be Tiafo Sinner I'm in it could be Tiafo Alcaraz like all of the permutations, all of the combinations. That's why this is the real Final Four to be watching here in the month of March. And you look at what, again, yesterday, what Carlito was able to do, 4-4 four and four over Felix. You know, they trade breaks at, at the start of the second set. Otherwise, it was a very straightforward first strike, first swing. Bring your best tennis. Bring your big ball bashing. Because if you're not able to hit a winner by either of these guys, you weren't winning a point here today. And credit to Felix. He does have the serve, the forehand 
capable of pushing Alcaraz off the baseline, forcing Alcaraz to be nine feet behind the baseline, be in a defensive position, not allow him to just swing freely on that ad side and pick off forehand after forehand. Because I will say, even more so than the totality of things Novak Djokovic does obviously makes him the most dangerous and best player right now on the ATP Tour. But there is not a single more dangerous proposition in all of tennis than Carlos Alcaraz sitting with time on the ad side of the court about to hit a forehand. Because again, you're just fucked. And I apologize, Super Producer Daniel Westoff is very busy doing seven different broadcasts here this weekend. So I don't think he's going to have time to edit out my cursing. You're going to hear me curse on this show. I apologize for that fact. I apologize to all our young listeners. I'll say this, never curse in public. Never curse in a setting that's not appropriate. Um, You'll know when it's appropriate as you get older. But you know, again, listen to your parents. If you're a younger listener and your parents telling you, hey, don't curse in this moment, they're probably right about that circumstance. When I'm describing Carlos Alcaraz's game, I think you've earned the right to fucking curse. I mean, it's just the athleticism. It's breathtaking. It's the first step. It's that ability to even when Felix hits a really good inside-out forehand, Carlos still finds a forehand off of that ball. And again, is he going to hit the drop shot? Is he going to hit inside out? Is he going to blast inside in with all of his momentum moving left anyways? You're just frozen. You're absolutely frozen. And again, Carlito, the thing people don't talk enough about, it's going to be, it's so sad that it's going to be the same genesis as Nadal where it's like, you know, people who truly pay attention, we've known from the get-go how good of a volleyer Carlos Alcaraz is, how everything he sets up is that much more efficient with how well he finishes those points with that finishing volley, whether it be a drop volley, whether it be a drive volley, whether it was the seven different high backhand volleys he pulled off yesterday, which as I have repeatedly said, is the single most difficult shot you can hit in all of tennis. Alcaraz does it with ease. He just, that's that's the word, and it's not a revelation. It's far from a hot take. He makes everything he does look so easy. And, you know, for Alcaraz yesterday, he won 81% of his first serve points. He won 59% of his second serve points. He was broken once. It was after he went up a set and a break. You know, he's up 6-4-1-0. And then we saw what Felix is made of. And again, anyone who doubts why I have Felix in tier one, not necessarily here in 2023, but you know my definition of a tier one player, a player I feel guaranteed will not leave this decade without winning a slam. I still keep Felix on that list. His ability to execute his serve, his forehand under pressure, some of the -the on-the-run lobs he hit over Carlos Alcaraz because Alcaraz pinches forward to the net. Sorry, again, a lot of F-bombs today. I don't know what's wrong with me. He pinches like a motherfucker. Like, he is on top of that net when he closes, and he's daring you to hit the lob. Felix hit the lob, and in those swirling, windy conditions of Indian Wells, that forehand lob was landing time after time, particularly in the second set, and I was... I was amazed. Like, I, there was some increased fluidity from Felix. And it helps to be on these Indian Wells courts because you have an extra half second. The ball is bouncing a little bit higher. And, you know, you can see that very much manifest with its eyes, even when Felix or Carlos unloads on what on any other surface would be an inside-in winner. Each of those guys were able to extend points, throw up a bump lob, just do something to make, uh, to extend the point, make life a little bit difficult for one another. But man, again, the quality of tennis was exceptional. It's worth remembering both these players born 2000 or later. They are, in my opinion, the epitome, the face of that next-gen ATP 2.0 that, you know, again, this follow-up generation that just is chomping at the bit. 
to get in the top of professional tennis. I mean, again, you think of guys like Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Zverev, Rublev, and I'll throw Kasparud in there because I think he's a 98 or a 99. You know, that's your original next-gen crew, right? Those are the, the people the original next-gen campaign was built after. You want to throw Matteo Berrettini in there too? Fine. That's six names. I don't know if there's going to be enough space, again, for more than three of those guys inside the ATP top 10. You add in a Hubie Hercots in the mix, uh, Taylor Fritz in the mix, all these Americans who are on the precipice as well. It's like, where's there going to be space in the top 10 for you? Because I'll tell you what, right now, Felix, Runa, Sinner, Alcaraz, you take those four out of any of the top four next-gen names, right? I'll, I'll give you those four. Runa, Sinner, Alcaraz, Medvedev. Uh, Runer, Runer, Runa, let's try that again. Leave it all in. We don't have time, sadly, for a rewind, uh, uh, rewind sound effect because Super Producer Daniel Westhoff, again, busy running seven broadcasts simultaneously. But Runa, Felix, Sinner, Alcaraz versus, again, that next generation of, or that original next-gen generation of Medvedev, Zverev, Tsitsipas, and we'll say Kasparud because he has the two slam finals. Which of those four are you taking? It's clearly the next-gen ATP 2.0, even if you're asking not just next, if you're asking next three years, not even next five, not even next 10, next three years, I think that's the pretty clear-cut answer. And, you know, again, what more analysis is there to do? Oh, if you can get the ball on Carlos's body or, you know, he still gets a little too aggressive sometimes on the return of serve. And certainly you look for Felix yesterday for him to be able to, what, fight off 9 of 12 break points. He won 70% of his first serve points. He had some success. And, you know, again, I think a lot of that had to do with Carlos holds his ground really well on the return of serve. He'd rather miss a return playing a little bit bigger than he would being 12 feet behind the baseline and just rolling that ball back in play. But I mean, Alcaraz won 59% of his second serve return points. And just that was the difference is Carlos was a little bit more fluid in the corners, a little bit better defensively. Credit to Felix. He could match plus one forehands with, uh, with Alcaraz, but Alcaraz is the more dynamic. It just, again, he's the guy. He's tier one, not just moving forward. He's tier one right now. So credit to Alcaraz, four and four victory. And then the Sid man, six, four, four, six, six, four over Taylor Fritz, two hours, 17 minutes. You look for center now into a Masters 1000 semifinal for, I believe, just the third time, I want to say in his career. In fact, you look overall, excuse me, second time in his career. Did it Miami when he made the final in 2021. Now does it here at Indian Wells. I mean, again, do I have to keep going over the stats for uh, Yannick Sinner? 15-17 overall in his last 52 weeks. There are now just four guys who rank top 20 in hold and break percentage during that stretch of time because Chilich has now officially fallen out. The four guys, Djokovic, Medvedev, Alcaraz, Yannick Sinner. That's your tier one. It's very straightforward to me. I know that's tennis abstract, analytics-centric. There's a broader conversation to be had on what I'm about to say next, but shout out to Austin, Texas, Dave, who I think listened to our podcast discussing his review and then was kind enough to come on and say some very kind words about the fun we had with his review. Again, I want to offer a massive thank you to Austin, Texas, Dave, for having fun and offering us some feedback. And again, that's what this Crack Rackets thing is about. We're all allowed to give each other shit. You're allowed to rip on me as long as I'm allowed to rip on you back. That's the relationship I want to have. That's what we in the Gruskin family call the love. You know, if again, you're more than welcome to give it out as long as you're happy to 
take a few jokes coming your way as well. And credit to Austin, Texas Dave, who did precisely that. So Austin, Texas Dave, he's now in the Cracked Racket circle. He's going to have to be a character here moving forward. Uh, I know he gets mad when I get a little tennis abstract centric, but like it matches what you see with your eyes. What's Yannick Sinner's weakness? He's too ball bash centric you wish he had more diversity in his shot selection what you wish he went off speed more like played slice played elevated loopy balls that are defensive I just like I fundamentally disagree with that argument that he's limited or that he's ball bashing centric have you watched Yannick Sinner move forward have you watched Yannick Sinner get outside the ball with a perfect edge to rip the backhand short angle cross court or rip the shorthand for uh short angle cross court. Did you watch him drive through the courts? I know Gil Gross was saying it was Juan Martin Del Potro-esque on the forehand yesterday uh, from Yannick Sinner. And I mean, look, Sinner was broken twice in a three-set match, 30, you know, 30 games, so 15 service games. He was broken twice and, you know, he won 80% of his first serve points. He made 64% of his first serves, his ability to change what he's doing with his first strike. It doesn't matter. Forehand, backhand, wing. He can go short angle. He can go down the line drive. He can go cross court drive. There's not a thing Yannick Sinner can't do on the court. I've said it before. Yes, he's very skinny. Yes, he's probably 10 pounds away from his ideal playing weight. And yes, from a durability standpoint, he has been frequently injured early in his career. I can't deny that. He's 21 freaking years old. Like, again, remember when Djokovic had his cramping problems? Remember when the conversation was, oh, this guy's clearly talented, but does he have enough in the tank to, you know, again, be the monster you have to be three out of five sets physically moving forward? Well, guess what? Novak Djokovic turned 23 in 2011. He ripped off 42 straight victories to start that 2011 season, and we never had to talk about the cramps again. Yannick Sinner's 21 years old. And again, second career Masters 1000 level semifinal. He and Nadal, the only players to make the second weeks at every slam last season. His last three slam losses have all been five set losses. He's up two sets to love on Djokovic at Wimbledon. He has match point on Alcaraz at the U.S. Open, a match that I'm telling you, if he wins, I know it's a sliding doors theory. You can't do this, but if he wins, there's not a doubt in my mind Yannick Sinner was winning that 2022 U.S. Open title. Then he loses in five sets to Tsitsipas in what was top 10 level tennis, like at the Australian Open. Now I understand. You look for him last 52 weeks, 50 and 17 overall, winning 75% of his matches against opponents ranked outside the top 20. He doesn't lose. 44 and 7 overall against the top 20, 6 and 10. That's not good enough. I don't care. Like he's 21. Like again, he's been close enough in all of these big matches. And I see the level with the eye test. Like, I understand he needs to get a little stronger. He needs to get a little fitter moving forward. Am I willing to bet that Yannick Sinner will do those two things, which, by the way, are the two most controllable things for any aspiring tennis player? Do I have any doubts about Sinner's work ethic, the intangibles to become the best version of himself? I do not. And when I see the peak performance that he's capable of playing already, there's just not a doubt in my mind that that peak remains, you know, tier one. Grand Slam champion levels of good uh, for Yannick Sinner moving forward. So I know that wasn't very specific as it relates to the match. You know, again, a 6-4, 4-6, 6-4 victory for Sinner. 
I mean, he his weapons were big enough, even on this Indian Well surface, to expose the Frit, the fact that Fritz has gotten a lot better at movement. When you can get him stretched and on the defensive, though, he will leave the ball short. You got to be confident. You got to hit with conviction at the net. That's what the Sin Man did. Again, semifinals for the second time at a 1,000 level event. He and Alcaraz three and two in the career head to head. Alcaraz getting the win at the U.S. Open. Sinner won the two prior. Umag Wimbledon last season. I'll say it again. It's the best rivalry in all of tennis. Men's, women's, I don't care. If you ask me, you get to pick to watch one match right now. It wouldn't include Djokovic. Uh, what it, well, again, Sapolenka versus Iga versus Alcaraz and Sinner. Which would I rather watch? I mean, what came first, the chicken or the eye? Which, which, which child of yours as a parent do you love more? Like, they're, they're both really good there. Those are the two matchups for me. That's child one, child two. Um... Or any All-American matches, child three. And coming from a three-child family myself, that just feels like a more complete analogy. I mean, again, the real Final Four to watch is happening at Indian Wells. Forget about the basketball. Because Alcaraz Sinner, Tiafo Medvedev, I understand Medvedev 4-1 and one against Francis, career head-to-head. But on this surface, at this speed, with this American crowd, I mean, if you can find a ticket and you're in the area... 150 is that is that the p- price here? I'm with our dear friend and Crack Rackets contributor, my man Joe Puchereris. Um, I'm just gonna keep making it up as we go. Uh, different ending to your last name. I'm I'm just asking you here. Yeah, 150. You spend the 150. Oh, 100. What, what's the number? Yeah, that you would spend. It's close as he debates here for for a sinner a sinner versus Alcaraz, Tiapo versus Medvedev ticket. What's the number? It's tough. I know. It's well said. Money's worth indeed. 200's rough. If it's 200, but you get some food included, I probably do that. Although then again, it's California. So like, you got, yeah, you roll out of bed. It's at least $200. Anyways, buy the ticket. Saturday's going to be a great day. Friday's going to be a great day as well. And I'm going to spend a little bit less time on these. I know, uh, again, I apologize for that fact. Ega Nation, I got no update for you. She's not eliminated from the greatest of all time conversation yet. She is the best player in the world right now. And as we alluded to on Thursday, there was no way in hell Serana Kirsten was going to have a weapon to beat her. And she didn't. And so, lo and behold, Iga Sviantek, straight set victory. It's another win at this Sunshine Double. It's another win streak on the precipice of beginning here with a very advantageous surface ahead. I mean, again, 21 years old. It's just... It's absolutely remarkable. And so uh, credit to Iga Sviantek, straight set win. Now she's got the battle on her hands as she's going to take on Elena Rabakina. And look, I did a big Mukova thing yesterday. So Mukova tested her. Mukova takes that first set. I think Mukova would have gotten off in straights. But again, Rabakina just wears you down, tracking down big backhand down the line after big backhand down the line, just dealing with the weight of her serve time after time. It gets frustrating. It gets immensely difficult to deal with. So again, a massive credit to Iga Shvian, uh, to Elena Rabakina. Grinds out that 6-4 in the third win over Mukova. You look for Rabakina. Was able to uh, win 76% of her first serve points. Over 50% of her second serve points she's won in all four of her matches. On this surface, that's damn near impossible to do. And it just speaks to the fact that, again, where if we, we had a new induction ceremony, it's rare we get two new members inducted in the same year in Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club, but Rabakina, Sabalenka, with their slam titles, they are now card-carrying members. They get, you know, again, properties have finished. They bought the two newest houses in Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. And we won't lie, I know they both got one slam, 
Sabalenka's is a little nicer because she had been part of the ecosystem for a while now. But, you know, we were unsure with Rabakina. Oh, actually, we weren't unsure here at Cracked Rackets, nor was the Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club board. And I'm going to stop with the analogy here. But, like, yeah, they're two of the defining Tier 1 talents right now on the WTA Tour. And it's amazing. It's a theme we've been covering here at the mini break for a little bit now. And shout out to David Kane, who was the first one to say it out loud. We've got some consolidation at the top of the women's game. That Rabakina, Sabalenka, Sviantek, all very expected in this final stage. It doesn't feel uncomfortable. Neither of them had to do something outside of themselves from a performance perspective to earn the victory. Heck of a performance again, Rabakina, Sviantek, and then, I mean, Sabalenka Sakari. And I recommend everyone go read Chris Otto's interview with Maria Sakari, which you can all go find on the Indian Wells website right now. Talks about her journey, the struggle, the fight, what's her next step physically, and then again, tennis-wise as well. But man, four and three against Sabalenka. I mean, those are two, I know Sakari's a little bit older. Those are two peers who since 2019 have been trying to break through at the highest level of professional tennis. And again, it's just, what to, same prices on Friday. It's, it, you're getting bang for your buck. Outstanding doubles, outstanding singles. It's going to be a really fun weekend at Indian Wells. But of course, you want the real bang for your buck, folks. If you're within three hours of the Phoenix area, make the drive here to this Phoenix Country Club, host to this Phoenix Challenger. Again, an absolutely uh, delightful, delightful event thus far. And I know if some of you may have heard my uh, podcast with Andy Zodin yesterday, we talked a lot about Berrettini, who looked good. We talked about Rusevori, who looked good. I'm just going to rapid fire through each of these quarterfinals we have here on the day. Berrettini versus Fukic. Slow, gritty courts here in Phoenix. And the reason I bring that up, Vukic is going to have time to find his forehand. Berrettini was struggling to hit through these courts yesterday. He did not play well. I don't think he moved well either. And it's just, again, former Illinois All-American. He's going to be loose. He's going to be swinging freely. Berrettini's got Miami on his mind. I think Berrettini wins. I think that one's closer than the experts predict. I think Berrettini escapes 6-3 in the third. And it's, again, because every member of the crowd here, I'm like, again, they're swooning. It's just everything is Berrettini. He's got a, a, a crowd around him at all times, which is what makes this event so cool, as uh, you get that intimate view of someone as the capable, the quality of Matteo Berrettini. Uh, but I'm telling you, Vuki's going to give him troubles here today. Shevchenko versus Husler is interesting because these courts are so gritty and they are a little bit slower, so Shevchenko has more time to get into his forehand. But, guys, Husler's a unit. Like, in person, that is a massive man with massive weapons. Advantage Husler, but I think that one's going to be sneaky close. I'm taking Kova over Gasquet. I mean, the former Lion-Eye All-American, his first two challenger titles each coming in the past six weeks. He's on the precipice of top 100, striking the ball so confidently, playing with such freedom. Gasquet did not look comfortable in match number one. Now, I think Richard Gasquet has made $100,000 this week in card games with his French compatriots because every time you look, there are at least four Frenchmen playing some sort of card game. And I've asked to get in, and you can go hear about the card game in our interview with Gasquet. I'll put up the money. I'll do what I got to do. I'll take a loan if need be. Um, but I just, I think Kova's got him. Halise versus Rusevori is a toss-up. That match is just going to be big hitting, slow, gritty court. I'm going to lean Rusevori, but I think that one's going to be really good. I believe Struff just beat Kokonakis in straight sets, and so Koke eliminated. Struff, massive human being in person. Oh, my goodness. That's a big man. 
I spend every morning in the gym with Jung Ji Jen, so we have a good time. We have a lot of good lucks. I think we now are at the point where we recognize each other and say, okay, we're a part of each other's lives this week. That's fine. Let's make it comfortable. Let's make it appropriate. Try to get him on the show. I heard this rant from Sasha Bublik yesterday. Let me just say he is a character. I'm not going to get into what the rant was about because it was in an off-the-record area, and certainly he didn't think he was on the record, so I don't want to talk about it. But he was just going on and on, and he had the entire player's lounge at the, you know, again, in the palm of his hand. Just, he is funny. He is a character. I will try to get him on. Emer Popperin, that's great. Popperin's hitting the forehand well. I don't know how you're going to get a ball by Emer on this surface. And then, look, Borges Safilin. Nuno's probably got the biggest weapon in his forehand. Safilin's the fitter, the faster, the more fluid of the two. Really fun matches across the board. And so looking forward to getting after it here at Phoenix. And we'll have another podcast later today with Andy Zodin to break it all down. But, folks, that's your look on everything happening right now in the pro tennis world. Of course, a shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, for all he does. I've dropped enough F-bombs, so I won't hear at the end. But he makes it all possible. Shout-out, of course, as well to our friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for the fantastic super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. 